Well, I want to invite you to turn to your Bibles to John's third letter, called Third John, appropriately. And um, I don't know how many of you have read Third John before, but maybe this might be your first time actually reading through it. Because again, it's one of the, it's the smallest letter, the shortest letter in the Bible. Sometimes we kind of easily dismiss those kind of things because we're like, well, you know, how much good can you really get out of such a small letter, right? But uh, actually, I think we'll find that there is a lot being described in this letter. Again, to give you a little context as you're turning there to your Bibles, the third John. Uh, John, again, this is his last letter, so John is becoming very aged, and so he is, uh, again, there's been other letters that he's written, as you'll kind of see as we read this. Uh, We only have three of his letters in addition to the gospel of John and the uh, the book of Revelation. Um, but John writes because his, his desire is to protect the church as well as to encourage the church. So again, we only have so many letters, but many letters were written by the apostles and John being one of the prolific writers of the New Testament. So third John, we're going to obviously read the entire letter here with us, one chapter long. John begins in this way. I'm actually going to have you stand your feet too. I love when we do that. Let's just stand to our feet because we're ready to read God's Word. Our posture, our position matters. Let us read together. Not together, actually you listen, I'll read. <laughs> the elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to, who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our own testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Well, Father, as we listen and sit under 
not only the reading of your word, but the teaching of your word, I pray that you give us all receptive hearts. I pray that we would have ears to hear, a mind to comprehend. Because in the end, Father, this is a waste of time if we don't come with the intention of hearing from you. So, Father, my prayer this morning is that I would be out of the way and that you would be the one speaking. So, Spirit, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us now. Encourage our hearts where needed. Exhort us where needed. And may we walk away knowing that we've encountered the King of kings and the Lord of lords through his inspired word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat right now. You know, um, I think most of you are probably aware of this, but just in case you're not, all of you have a reputation by everybody. Every single person on the face of the earth, every single person in this auditorium right now, in this sanctuary right now, has a reputation, a reputation that not only precedes you, but also a reputation that follows you. Now, by reputation, what I'm really referring to is uh, really the opinion that people have about you. Uh, And by opinion, I'm talking about a person's evaluation of you uh, or uh, your evaluation in the eyes of other people. Now, it's no, you know, we know this about ourselves, though we may not give conscious effort to it, but we all have an opinion about ourselves, right? We all think of ourselves in a certain light. And probably more often than not, we think of ourselves in a much, well, we give ourselves a lot of grace. I'll put it that way. We think of ourselves pretty highly, right? There's a reason why the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 says this, and do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, right? But to think of yourselves in sober judgment. In other words, see yourself as you really are. That doesn't mean to have a minimized view of you of yourself. It doesn't mean to diminish and say, oh, I'm just a terrible person and just to kick yourself because God somehow loves you when you do that. That's not what that scripture is telling us. It just says, think of yourself rightly. Think of yourself correctly or accurately. But the fact is, regardless of what you think about you, there are the, there, there's many opinions about you in the eyes of others. People are watching you. People are talking. And people are making conclusions about you. Some people think you're pretty famous in their eyes. Some people think you're infamous. And that does not mean more than famous, if you know what I'm getting at. But the fact is, we all have a reputation in the eyes of others as well as about ourselves. And I think we see in John's third letter to the churches in Asia Minor, again, he's John primarily, he was kind of a pastor of the, the churches in Asia Minor. That's why in Revelation you see that he's writing to the churches of Asia Minor. And so I think this is the context in which that John is continually addressing and also proactively pursuing. And we see that in his third letter that John is identifying four different people within the church. Four different people with four different reputations. 
And in our time this morning, we're, we're going to kind of like pursue this letter in this way. We're going to really make some observations about these four characters that John raises by, you know, either, either by name or by implication. And then we're also going to, from observation, we're going to interpret uh, these observations through a biblical lens. And then we're going to draw some application about these people for the sake of our own personal reflection. So that's how we're going to kind of approach this letter here. But what I'd like for you to do, or what I want to invite you to do as we describe these four guys, is to ask yourself these two questions. First question, in what way or ways do I relate to these characters, either good or bad? And then secondly, in what way or ways would I like, would I like to relate to each of these characters? So, you're going to kind of, in a sense, as you're listening to me describe John's description of these four men, I want you to ask yourself, I'm like, how do, how do I identify with that person? For good or for bad? And how would I like to identify that person? Now, I just want to also, uh, in your evaluation of yourself, again, because we give ourselves a lot of grace, you know, uh, you know, if you take your own personal survey of yourself, we might actually kind of give ourselves a higher mark than maybe another person would, would, but that doesn't, that's neither here nor there. But I do want to encourage you in this way. This also might be an incredible, well, maybe not incredible, an ideal opportunity for, for you to ask somebody after service or sometime this week to also ask these questions about you. So you're going to kind of take a personal inventory of your own life, and then I want to ask, you can ask your spouse, you can ask a close friend, go like, hey, you know, we've, we've seen these descriptions unpacked for us. What would you see, what do you see in my life? And I, I do want to say this, we'll do this after service, not during service, because I don't want any of these elbow jabs, you know, as we're kind of going through this here. So let's leave the... the uh, the critique and the, the review for later. Um, but I think that actually would be a very, it can be a very productive uh, process. Because in the end, we can go through life thinking, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm pretty amazing, really, you know? And, and then you find out that someone, my, someone else might think otherwise. And you might be shocked to go, oh, is that the impression I give off? And so sometimes we do need the, the loving feedback of one another. And I don't say loving in quotes. I mean it literally, the loving feedback of one another. So we got four guys here that we're going to unpack, four reputations, and let's just jump right into it, okay? So personal reflection, but let's just listen and see how we identify with each of these four men. First of all, what do we observe about this guy named Gaius? I think there's four observations that we can kind of unpack from John's letter here. First of all, we see that Gaius was a man especially loved by the Apostle John. Now, this shouldn't come as a surprise to us, I don't think, because obviously John is writing a personal letter to him, and we see that kind of fleshed out in his letter that John commends his faithfulness. And so we see that John, there's a kind of an, an affectionate relationship. I'm not talking about a romantic relationship, I'm talking about an affectionate relationship. There was a close relationship that John had with this guy named Gaius, obviously by way of writing a personal letter and commending his faithfulness. But we also see that Gaius was a man who lived what he believed. He lived what he taught. 
This is what John alludes to. In other words, Gaius is not a man who says, do as I say, not as I do. He was a man who, I, who could identify with what Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 11 when he says, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, Gaius was a man who not only talked the talk, but he also lived what he talked. His, his lifestyle matched his message. His actions were consistent with his words. You know how common it can be for some people to talk a big talk, right? How easy it is to talk or say the right thing, to affirm the right thing, to affirm sound theology, to know the right answer, in fact. But how common also it is for one's life to not reflect what they know to be true. You know, especially in the church, I think it's all too common, unfortunately, for people to uphold a biblical doctrine and, and to communicate sound theology and to maybe even serve as a leader within the church. But then their conduct and their choices outside the church run completely contrary to what they profess to be true. Just on Friday night, a couple nights ago, we had uh, our marriage seminar, our second one uh, that we're doing every single month. Bruce and Karen Swenson got to be the, the, the couple of the hour, and I uh, really appreciate them being willing to open up their lives. And, and they actually mentioned something that I think validates everything we're talking about here right now. As they were talking about their own parenting uh, journey, uh, they, their kids on a number of occasions could not help but make observations about some of the people they knew. Specifically, how even the children would say, well, so-and-so's parents are really different on Sunday than they are on Monday. Meaning, you know, we can do the church thing. We can put on our kind of our Christian hat, right? We know what to say. We know how to act. We smile. Hey, God bless you. God bless you. And then we go home and our mouth is filthy, and our mind is equally as filthy. And yet, then what we see, there's a contradiction. Our life does not match our message. I don't know who said it first, but I've always, it's always stuck with me. Someone once said, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Do you get all that? <laughs> your walk talks. Your walk communicates something. And your talk equally communicates something. But your walk, your life, communicates something more powerfully or more bluntly than your talk does. Your walk talks and your talk talks. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Should be like a children's rhyme or something. I don't know. The fact is, yes, words matter. Yes, they do. But it is your life that communicates what you truly believe. Your life communicates what you really believe to be true. Gaius was a man who not only believed rightly, but he was a man whose life matched his faith. And the question for us for reflection is, does mine? Does my life reflect what I claim or profess to be true? 
We also see that Gaius was a man who was spiritually healthy. Maybe in our common day vernacular, we might say this, that Gaius was just a godly man. We would refer to him or we look to him. Even in the church, he was regarded as a just, man, that man is a godly man. He has been walking with Jesus. He loves Jesus. He is devout for the things of Jesus. He's not easily taken out by any other thing that, or worldly thing. He's a godly man. Which is why John actually prayed in this way. He prayed that Gaius would be as healthy physically as Gaius was already healthy spiritually. In other words, John is kind of already kind of implicitly affirming the fact that Gaius is an amazing, amazingly godly man. He is so healthy spiritually, and he's praying that his physical health would kind of match by God's grace his physical health or his spiritual health. And I think this raises kind of an interesting question or maybe an interesting topic for us as a way of discussion. You know, we oftentimes pray for our health or our physical health or the health, the physical health of somebody else, but how often do we pray for someone's spiritual health? I mean, again, sometimes... What prompts us to pray more often than anything else is that when something bad is happening, right, we pray because we acknowledge the fact that, oh, shoot, I can't really do anything about this, or I feel somewhat powerless in the circumstance, or, man, my body's feeling kind of whatever, and so we pray, which, by the way, yes, we should do. We are called to bring everything to God in prayer. But I wonder... I can't help but ask the question, do I pray as fervently for my spiritual health as I do my physical health? I'm going off the cuff here just because it's not in my notes, but um, I read an article not too long ago by Timothy Keller. He's uh, been fighting pancreatic cancer for a number of years right now. And uh, most people, that's a death sentence in a short amount of time. God, in his grace, has sustained him but not without difficulty. But in this journey of fighting pancreatic cancer, he's, people are asking him questions like, well, what is it about you? And, and he's acknowledging the fact, he's just like, I've never been more joy-filled in this fight for my life than I have, than I, than I am now. I've never been more joy-filled in this fight of cancer than I have been in my whole ministry. He's like, I've prayed more in my life now than I ever have, almost kind of in summation of my whole ministry. I'm praying more now. My intimacy with the Father is so close. He's like, I would, this is what he said, I wouldn't trade it. Now, in our minds, we'd be like, who in the world would want that? It's not that he wants that. But look what God is doing through that. My mother-in-law, many of you know Shar Curry, had a very similar journey. And although the fight of cancer is not a, a lovely, desirable road whatsoever, no matter how you look at it, but the fact is we see that people's lives are radically arrested, their hearts are arrested in a way that other circumstances could not produce. And we see there's this intimacy that is fostered because of these unfortunate circumstances. 
almost to the point where they say what seems unfortunate is actually incredible. I wonder, in, the, in, the, in our pursuit of physical health, do we pray equally and care as much for our spiritual health? Yes, our physical well-being is important to us. Yes, praying for physical well-being is a biblical invitation. But I wonder, does our fanaticism with diets and health and workout regimes and longevity and the catchy tagline, self-care, does that dominate our thinking and prayer life more than our spiritual health? I think it's fair to say that what you pray for reflects what you value. What you pray for is a reflection of what's important to you. That's not a a condemning statement or anything. It's just an honest evaluation, right? It's kind of a, a, a litmus test of what is important to me. Well, you can kind of tell by what you pray for. Those are the things that are important to us. Yes, self-care is important to agree, to some degree, but soul care, I believe, carries eternal significance. It's kind of what Paul says in, in 1 Timothy 4, bodily training has some value, but godliness has value in every way, no matter what circumstances foster that. Gaius was a man who was spiritually healthy, yes, but we also see, fourthly, that Gaius was a hospitable man. He hosted, he fed people, he cared for these, these itinerant missionaries, he financially su- supported these traveling missionaries. He didn't just say, be warmed and filled, right? He actually ensured that they were warm and that they were filled. It wasn't just a, a nice thing to say. He took personal responsibility to meet the practical needs of these missionaries who were carrying out the calling that God had placed on their life. You know, one of the greatest opportunities, brothers and sisters, that you and I have as followers of Jesus is to support followers of Jesus. You know, one of the mantras that we keep repeating here at IBC is that uh, the body takes care of the body. And I'll be honest with you, I'm so grateful I am so grateful that IBC has a long history a long and healthy history of financially supporting brothers and sisters in Christ who are serving around the United States as well as around the world. And we really do this in three ways. We are all a part of the Great Commission, right? We all take part of it in a certain way. Again, I don't know who coined it first, but it's really catchy. We all take part in one of three ways, or maybe in a couple of three ways. There are players... They are prayers, and they are payers, right? The three Ps of Great Commission fulfillment, right? There are players, those who are sent out, but by the way, you are all sent out. It's just some of you are literally or physically sent out to relocate in a different place. And then there are are prayers, which we are all called to do, where we can intercede for one another through prayer. And then there are payers, Because as John acknowledges in his letter, as Paul would say, a worker is worthy of their wages, guess what? There are practical needs to be met. And so there are people that have been blessed by God financially to give to the work of the ministry. 
Everyone is commissioned as an ambassador, but yet some are called to leave home to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. But even though not all of us are called to leave home, we are all called to participate, every single one of us. Some are sent, but we all support. You know, and here's the benefit of supporting people, whether it be financially or through prayer or even being filled or compelled by the Lord to go. The fact is, regardless of what role that God has called you, you become a co-laborer. That's what John is referring to in his, in his letter. He's, you become co-laborers with those people. It's why, like, you know, Abby and I, what, we, we support a couple different people. One of the people we'd support that we've mentioned her name, Roding Pui, she's in India. She's an easy yes to support. And the reason why is I am not going to reach many people in India, but she is. And our financial support of Roding Pui actually makes us a co-laborer to reaching people with the gospel of Jesus through her. So guess what that means? We're reaching people in India through a sister, a faithful sister in Christ, and by our financial support, we become a co-laborer. I love the fact, and I know many of you are supporting missionaries both on a general, uh, general level and we're also supporting them individually because God has led you to that place. And I just want to encourage you, if you are not actively supporting somebody, I just want to kind of put your toes to the fire a little bit. It is an incredible opportunity because when you financially support somebody, they're also on your mind a lot. And you also start praying for them a lot. And it's, it's, kind of, it's, it's just kind of like this reciprocal but healthy thing that keeps putting you along. You want their ministry to thrive. And so you pray that their ministry would thrive. And you give gratefully because you get to reach people that you'll never, ever meet until eternity. Wouldn't it be amazing? I mean, it's going to be amazing that when we stand together with our new bodies, Pastor Mike's going through a whole series on heaven right now, which, by the way, it's not too late to, to show up for that. Is it too late? It's too late. <laughs> Maybe next time. <laughs> it's not too late for heaven, though. Yes, you're right. That's a great point. So uh, we still desire that you go to heaven even if you know nothing about it. Um, but here, here's the glorious thing about investing in people that you, have, that you never meet in this life. One day we will stand and we will live and reign with our Savior Jesus Christ for all eternity. And this is just going to be this glorious, glorious reunion of people that we knew in this life as well as many people we had no clue. But we had an effect on because of our faithfulness. I can't wait to meet the people that come to faith in Jesus Christ because of people we got to support in this life. I, I pray that you have that same opportunity. This is where, you know, the, what Scripture talks about, we invest into eternity. All our investments in this life, they're going to go away. They're already going away this year, right? <laughs> I'm sorry to bring up such sore news. But there are investments that never go away, and they exponentially grow, and that is our investment in people. And so can I just give you a quick suggestion? I'm going going down this rabbit trail pretty far. I understand. Gaius was hospitable. 
how can we be hospital? We kind of talked about that last week, right? Rosaria Butterfield talking about how she opens up her home. The gospel comes with a, a front door key. But here's another way to be hospital for those who are on the, the mission field, as we call it. Can I just encourage you all, if you are not thinking of one person to reach out to, I would encourage you, I know this sounds crazy, write a letter. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, a letter. Or you can WhatsApp them, it doesn't matter, whatever form of social media communication you want to reach out, but can I just encourage you, take the initiative to reach out. Because guess what? When someone has been called by God to pick themselves up or their whole family up and to leave and, and completely relocate to a place of, and with people that they don't know, being on the mission field, especially the foreign mission field, can be one of the most lonely places. And, and missionaries oftentimes say this, that they feel forgotten. They feel alone. And so we, as the body of Christ, we have the opportunity to encourage brothers and sisters. You remember Faisal actually shared about Dr. Amanda serving faithfully in North Africa. You saw, you saw, he showed pictures. You saw the terrain. Can you imagine like this is home, desert for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles all around, pooping in a hole, living in a tent or a, a, a mud house, leaving all the luxuries and, the, and, the, and the, 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 the amenities of life back home for the sake of Jesus. Man, it would be nice if someone actually reached out to me and said, we love you. You're doing a great job. I know this for a fact. No matter where you live on the face of the earth, people thrive on encouragement. People thrive and are renewed in their, in their strength when they receive the encouragement from their brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's my little kind of appeal to you. If you don't yet know the missionaries that we support at see, this is kind of your invitation to get to know them. And by the way, we have some missionaries coming. That, uh, one of the missionary organizations we support is Children of the Nations. They're coming here next week. And uh, Chris Clark is going to be speaking for us, and we're going to have a concert tomorrow e- uh, next week, the sun- next Sunday evening, and it's going to be an incredible time. They do child sponsorship, and uh, this is another great way we, we support a child. This might be an opportunity you, for you to support a child. Again, not someone that you may, you may only see a picture of, but you know that you're investing in the kingdom of God by the support of a child, and that child is being fed, they're being educated, they're growing up knowing that Jesus is Lord, and who knows what ripple effect impact you have by your faithfulness to support them on a monthly basis. We got fearless coming up next weekend as well during that time. I know Pastor Corey, I know he's well ahead of it and he's, he's just been working kind of the, t- you know, burning the candle at both ends, kind of getting ready for this and obviously he has school and everything else. He's got a lot going on. Corey, do you need any help still? Just putting you on spot, I know. It's like, <laughs> we need drivers. Anybody know how to drive in here? Yes. <laughs> You might think you're a good driver, but good drivers, yeah. Taking kids around. If you want to go, hey, you know what? I got a car. I could drive people around. I think they're doing a scavenger hunt around town uh, on Saturday. And so if you're willing to go, I would love to be a chauffeur and have a bunch of rowdy kids in my car. What what better time than have a bunch of rowdy 
teenage kids in your car. That sounds awesome, right? Maybe not. I don't know. But it'll be a great time nonetheless. But that's an opportunity to share. Uh, the Pringles, we, offer, we, we support Dan and Tara Pringle. They live in Spain. They work in North Africa. They just lost their coworker. The one that invited in and kind of, kind of rolled out the carpet for them, she just died of cancer. It's, this is, they are heartbroken at this time. They would love a word of encouragement from you. They would love to know that you are praying for them right now. In fact, how about we pray for them right now? Let's do that, church family. Let's stand to our feet and let's just pray for our brothers and sisters, especially Dan and Tara Pringle in Spain right now. Oh, Father, many of us can understand firsthand what both Dan and Tara are feeling at this moment and mourning the loss of a a very, very, very close friend, one who really, when they started on the mission field over 12 years ago, they were the ones that received them, helped them, were there for them every step of the way, introduced people to them. All the people they know are people that they... This is just a hard, hard time. But we know that you love them. And we know that you have called them for such a time as this in the country of Spain, strategically reaching the people in North Africa. And we just ask, Father, that you would love them and encourage them and uplift them and that you would sustain them by your grace. Encourage their hearts. May they not grow weary in doing good, knowing full well that in due season they will reap a harvest if they do not give up. I pray that they would be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that their labor is not in vain. I pray for the husband who lost his wife. I pray that, Father, you would encourage his heart. And that he would have an overwhelming sense of grace and peace that is flooding his heart and his mind. So that when he mourns, it's not a hopeless mourning, but it is a joy-filled mourning. Father, there are so many other missionaries. Pastor Tom right now, he just finished up training in Ecuador. will be coming back to us early this week. We have so many people, Father, that are serving faithfully. Bless them. Thank you for their willingness to say yes to the calling you've placed on them. And may we do our part, not just to pray once, but to pray regularly. And ask you, Lord, how do you want me to serve and partner with this person or with this family, with this mission organization? How can we invest in the things that will last forever? In Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, Gaius was a pretty incredible man, right? Gaius was an incredible man, but uh, Diotrephes was probably Gaius' alter ego. He's the antithesis of Gaius. He was a we see that Gaia, or Diotrephes was a man who, as John describes, we could probably use other language, like he was a control freak. He was power hungry. He was a micromanager. Bottom line, he wanted to be the boss and he wanted to be in charge. If anyone took any exception to his opinion or his actions, that person was dismissed from the church. 
Now, it's important to point out, however, that much like what John talks about in his other letters, Diotrephes is not an antichrist or a false teacher as is oftentimes called out in his other letters. In other words, Diotrephes is not someone who, he's not those false teachers and antichrists that, that John is saying stay far away from. No, Diotrephes is a person who he warns against because the issue is not his theology, the issue is his pride. His theology was down pat. He knew the gospel of Jesus, but he was a prideful man. He was absorbed with himself. He was driven by prideful ambition. And as a result, we see that Diotrephes was a man who who talked wicked nonsense. He slandered the apostle John and anyone else who did not align with his agenda. He was a trash talker, a gossiper, a malicious wordsmith, and a liar. And to add insult to insult, we see that Diotrephes was a man who was also, therefore, unhospitable to these itinerant missionaries that were traveling around. He wouldn't support anyone nor anything that didn't ensure that all the attention wasn't directed at himself. And anybody else that wanted to show hospitality, he shut them down. He was a control freak. His identity was wrapped in his, it's almost like I think of like the steward of Gondor in Lord of the Rings, right? He's just a steward, but he took ownership of everything. No, this is my kingdom. No, you're just a steward. Diotrephes was a man fully absorbed with himself and was not content until everybody got on board with his agenda for a church that he took ownership of. I kind of already said this, but I'll say this from a different vantage point. The genuineness of our faith is not ultimately dependent upon what we say. Again, Diotrephes, it wasn't, the matter was not with his theology. The, imp- the genuineness of our faith is not ultimately dependent on what we say, but dependent on how we live. Verse 11, look at what John says. Remember that those who do good prove that they are God's children. And those who do evil prove that they do not know God. In other words, you can have your theology all down packed. You can have an irrefutable ministry philosophy. philosophy. You, 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 can, you can be a highly gifted person who is very influential in the lives of many people. But actions reveal what's really in your heart. Remember, your walk talks louder than your talk talks. One commentator actually said this. I thought it was quite humorous, but sad at the same time. He was quoting a scholar who was writing a paper, actually, for his denomination about Diotrephes. And when he submitted this paper about Diotrephes, the editor for the denomination shut it down. And when asked why, he said, because 25 deacons opposed it and took personal offense to it. And the irony is, he mentioned none of their names. Point being, it did not take long for these deacons to recognize the parallels in their own lives with Diotrephes. It had really nothing to do with them. And yet they realized, I'm like Diotrephes. I wonder... 
for the sake of reflection. Is your voice, is your use of time, is your influence, are your finances, are your priorities devoted to the edification and the building up of the church of Christ? Or is your voice and time and influence and priorities and finances really all about you? your ego, and your kingdom. One person said it this way. They said there's no limit on how someone can about how much someone can accomplish for the sake of the kingdom when they desire no credit for it. There's no limit on what you can accomplish for the sake of the kingdom of God when you could care less who gets the credit. Because it's not about you. For Diotrephes, it was all about Diotrephes. For Gaius, it was all about Jesus. There's a few other people that we want to highlight very quickly. First of all, we have these nameless traveling missionaries. We don't know who they are. They're even strangers because, you know, Gaius doesn't really know them. But there's something that we can't observe very quickly about them, and that is that their mission intent was very sincere and pure. What John tells about is, a, is that they're, they're serving Christ from a pure heart. They're not doing it for the money. They're not doing it for self-serving gain. They're serving Christ faithfully from a pure heart. And therefore, John says, because they're not doing it for the money, you ought to support them with money. Because they're, not, because they're doing it for the Lord, however he provides, you ought, it's a no-brainer to, to take these guys in, to support them financially, and to support them in their practical needs. So the question for us is, how are our resources and how is our time being considered and used for kingdom purposes? And there's another man named Demetrius. Everyone speaks highly of Demetrius. The truth confirms Demetrius' reputation. Even John the Apostle affirms Demetrius' reputation. Now, the question in my mind is like, well, so everybody's talking well. I mean, everybody loves Demetrius. I can't help but ask, like, do I have control over my reputation? Do I have control about what people say about me? No, I don't. And you don't. People are talking, right? They're watching anyways. People are saying all kinds of things and thinking all kinds of things about you. And the fact is, people will say some pretty heinous things about you too, right? We already see that John is being slandered by a diatrophies. Jesus was falsely accused and looked down upon by the Pharisees. So just because you're perfect like Jesus doesn't mean people are going to always talk well of you. But I love what Paul says in Romans twelve eighteen: If possible... As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. It doesn't mean that you will be at peace with all people. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to like you. But I love the exhortation to us, as much as it depends on you. So perhaps you may already know somebody. Someone comes to mind right now and you're going, yeah, we're, we're not on the greatest page right now. We're not, I don't even know if we're on talking terms right now. How does 
Paul's exhortation to the church in Romans 12, 18, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. How does that influence what you do? I've never forgotten what Celestine said to us a while back or last fall when he said, you show your forgiveness by your pursuit of that person. You show your forgiveness by your pursuit of that person that's hurt you. Demetrius was well-liked. It doesn't mean that you can control that, but as much as it depends on you. Those are four guys, four reputations, but there's one other guy I want to highlight here, and I promise this is my last point. That is the Apostle John. John is talking about other men here, but when you look at John, you actually see his heart kind of fleshed out here for us. What do we, what do we observe about the Apostle John? Well, we, first of all, we see that John does not avoid conflict, but he confronted it with truth and love. He says in verse 10, so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. In other words, when I come, I'm not going to just dismiss this or pretend it's happening or just wish it away. No, he's, when I come, I'm going to confront Diotrephes right now because he's actually causing quite a bit of division within the church of Christ. And this is not good. And as a father for these children, he has every intention of protecting these children. And so we see that he has every intention of confronting this conflict, not confronting it with like a bull in a china shop, right? But confronting it with love. What did we talk about last week? Speaking the truth in love. I can't help but ask the question, how many of our conflicts would be resolved if we would just do what Scripture tells us to do and go to that person? How many of our conflicts might be resolved much quicker if we would just do what Scripture asks us to do and to go talk to the person? It's easy to talk about it. It's easy to, you know, to jump on social media and process and vent. But the Scripture tells us, go to that person, which is like the hardest thing to do. And yet nothing gets resolved until you do. And the enemy, because he loves the footholds we give him, right? He loves the, the spaces we give him until we pursue and do what Scripture asks us to do and seek out that person, speaking the truth in love. The only thing we're doing if we don't do that is we're giving the enemy a place in our heart. And the problems fester. And they get worse. So go to the person. John has every intention of doing that when he comes face to face. And we ought to follow that example as well. But lastly, I love seeing John's heart on display. He says this in the beginning of his letter, verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You know, I can personally relate to this as a pastor. I, I don't know what's going on since like January 1st, but God is doing some incredible things in our church family here. I mean, honestly, it's exhilarating, and I, and I weekly ask this multiple times a week, going like, Lord, what are you doing? 
I didn't manufacture this. No one person can do this. This is a, a work of the Spirit of Christ. And I'm just like, this is awesome. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm excited. Are you guys excited? Yeah, this is incredible. I'm, I'm pumped. I'll be honest with you. I'm like, I'm also, in all honesty, I'm also a little leery. Because I know we have a formidable enemy who sees also what's going on and has every, in every reason and every ability to go, you know what, watch me throw a stick in those spokes. Watch what I can do here. So here's my encouragement to you. As Abby and I were talking this past week out of Proverbs 4, keep your heart with all vigilance. Watch your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows a spring of life. Brothers and sisters, that might mean that you need to do what the previous point says and go and resolve conflict so that the enemy can no longer wreak havoc in your heart and no longer cause any further division in your life and relationships. I love what God is doing But I also see churches implode because of unconfessed sin and unfaithfulness and division and gossip and slander. May it not be true of our church. May it not be true of Christ's church. I know I said this is my last point. This is my part two of my last point. (laughs) Point B, B, C. Can I just say this for you parents, and we just had the child dedications, but addressing all you parents, and this includes you grandparents too, because it doesn't mean that you don't still have a role or influence in your children and children's children's life. John says, I have no greater joy than to see that my children are walking with the Lord. I wonder, is that your highest aim for your children? Is your highest ambition for your children that they might walk in a healthy and authentic relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, most of us in here would probably say, yes, that is my joy, that is my goal, that is my ambition, that is my hope. Then the question is, does your life and your values and your decisions and your even rhythm in life reflect that highest aim? I'm not saying that Getting a good career is a bad thing for your children and praying for that. I'm not saying that making money in life is a a bad pursuit and praying for that. I'm not saying that every extracurricular activity under the sun is a bad thing and that we shouldn't have opportunity for that. But what is your highest aim for your children? And does your life reflect that pursuit? I pray that it does. Because we live in a world with a lot of noises and a lot of distractions and a lot of opportunity. But a lot of things, even amoral things, that can distract us from the things that matter most. Five men, five reputations. People are talking. We can't control what they say. But let me close with these words out of Jesus from Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, 
No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we know this has been a a long, but I pray an encouraging service for us. Even as we think about uh, the, the various men that John talks about, raises up, describes, even as we reflect and take inventory of our own heart, I know all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, can probably go, yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I think Diotrephes is a real piece of work, but if I'm honest, I relate to him in some respects. I do want attention. I do want to be acknowledged for things. I do want the credit for stuff. And yet at the same time, Lord, we see that Jesus, the only one who is perfect and the only one who is worthy, who leaves the side of his Father and comes to earth and clothes himself with humanity and humbles himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, Jesus, you modeled perfectly the example we are called to follow. You laid down your life, agape love, and you did so willingly. Father, may we willingly lay down our lives for one another and for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.